One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Well, that's what I call a great healing story. An extraordinary story which would feature comfortably into any contemporary movie where the heroes all have crazy supernatural powers that enable them to face life's challenges in an exciting and dramatic way, way above us mere mortals. But of course, the main protagonist of our story is anything but a superhero. In fact, I'd describe Peter as simply an ordinary bloke with a big heart who did extraordinary things. And that's actually why it's him I've chosen to speak about this morning. So, who was Peter? Well, everything we know about him would suggest he was your classic, hard-working fisherman whose early life revolved around catching fish. He lived by the Sea of Galilee, where his dad would have taught him all the skills involved in being a professional fisherman. He was unschooled, which meant that unlike his colleague, Paul, who'd studied theology at a very high level and was very well-versed in the scriptures from a young age, Peter's knowledge of scripture was more likely to have been limited to the time he spent in the company of Jesus. When Peter met Jesus, he left his life as a fisherman and for three years lived with him at close quarters. And this means he would have very probably got to know him really well as he watched him, he listened to him and learned from him every day. And there's no doubt Peter not only came to know Jesus as a close and precious friend, but to love him also. 
This relationship with Jesus is key when we consider who Peter really is. Now, he has many characteristics I find compelling. But the overall impression I have is of someone who was prepared to go in both feet first. It would seem he was the older of the apostles, the one with the big heart and the big mouth, who always had something to say and had the courage to take action when he felt it was necessary. He reminds me of another hero of mine from the world of football back in the 1990s. And some of you will be familiar with Gaza or Paul Gascoigne. A few nods, a few smiles straight away. Um, Yeah, Gaza. Well, I'm not a Spurs fan, and yet I was captivated by the exuberance of this Geordie um, extrovert. He was constantly grimacing. You'll remember he was constantly grimacing to the cameras, incessantly playing mischievous and merciless pranks on his teammates. And all this while scoring some of the most memorable goals in English footballing history. Yeah? Yeah, what has stuck stuck with me and reminds me of what Peter might have been like was his boundless enthusiasm and passion for the game and a willingness to get stuck in and take risks, which verged on the manic sometimes. And this exuberance, although it meant he could shine on the biggest of world stages, was also his downfall when in an FA Cup final, which should have been his highlight, the highlight of his career, he lost his head and went studs up in an early tackle on an opponent. Now, there'd been no ill intent, just a bit of a hothead, a bit of what I call give-it-a-go bravado. In the heat of the moment, he lost it. Which had le- and this had left its mark, not on the other player, but on Gaza himself, who was stretched off and who ended up nine months out of the game. Remember that? So I see something of Gaza's endearing and sometimes foolhardy exuberance in Peter. But there are several other reasons why I've chosen Peter as my hero in faith out of all the other people I could have chosen. And the first reason is what I call Peter's openness. He was open to the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that really mean? And why is it so important? Before he left the apostles, Jesus said he would send them his Holy Spirit so that although he himself would no longer physically be with them, they could continue to enjoy relationship with him through the Holy Spirit. And that's why earlier in the book of Acts, that time of Pentecost, when they were grouped together in the upper room, 
That's why it was so important, because it was the first time Jesus was present through his Spirit, and it was this same Spirit which Peter recognized as the Jesus he knew and loved. And we know Peter himself was filled with the Spirit as he addressed the astonished and perplexed crowd that morning when many thought the apostles had had too much to drink. He told them, Be baptized, every single one of you, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, so that your sins can be forgiven and you will receive the gift and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for everyone who is far away, as many as the Lord our God will call. So, when he was walking up to the temple on that day of healing, it was as if Jesus himself was with him. And this meant Peter wasn't on his own, operating out of his own strength, but he was with Jesus, operating out of God's power. So, the first compelling reason for choosing Peter is his openness to the Holy Spirit. The second thing I love about Peter is that he's prepared to listen to that same spirit. In other words, to follow God's agenda. He and John are on their way to worship at the temple, which was something the believers in the book of Acts used to do regularly. And they're going past the beautiful gate outside of the temple courts, where a man, apparently disabled since birth, is being carried to the place where he can sit and beg. Now, according to the Jewish law, because he has a disability, he's not permitted into the temple courts. Essentially, he's an outcast, dependent on contributions from those passing by. And when he sees Peter and John about to enter the temple court, his request is the same that he makes hundreds of times a day. Have pity on me. Have pity on me. In other words, give me some money. Peter and John could have walked on and ignored him. The well-rehearsed thought in Peter's head may have gone something like that, like this, and I'm just speculating here. Well, I don't have any money, and I don't carry change, since as Christians we've chosen to pool all our possessions. So once again, I'm going to have to walk by without giving. You know that feeling when we haven't got money and we walk past someone who's desperate. It's not a particularly comfortable feeling, but you've probably worked it all out anyway. But then, it could be Peter hears that familiar voice. That voice which comes from knowing Christ and being in relationship with him. 
Peter loves Jesus and is therefore open to the prompting of his spirit. Could it be the spirit is telling him to stop and speak to this man? Otherwise, why stop and speak to a beggar when the real challenges and the dramas of the day are likely to be taking place up at the temple courts? Surely that's where the action is and where God wants to do his thing. Surely it's there. Yet, Peter, with John, stop and look hard at him. They stare intently at him. Somehow, there is something important about that deep face-to-face contact, especially that here is a man who is sat on the ground every hour of every day and therefore unused to the usual eye-level contact with everybody else. How extraordinary that anyone would want to look down and make eye contact with him. Not only do Peter and John stare at him, but they tell him to look hard at them. No good turning your face away in embarrassment, as often happens with someone begging who is ashamed to catch your eye, and of passers-by who are equally ashamed to look at um, someone asking for money. I think Peter is looking to discern what the Holy Spirit is now prompting him to say or do in this situation. And then he gets it. He gets that among the usual hustle and bustle of city life, God has chosen the disabled man for what he wants to do next. Who of us here has had a similar experience when we've stopped in our tracks because we felt led by the Spirit in a particular situation? When I'd just come to faith, I was on an Alpha weekend. And we were praying for people on the Saturday afternoon after a talk on the Holy Spirit. And I was completely new to this and still very timid. And I was standing um, watching when suddenly a dramatic picture came into my head. And the picture was of a man carrying a small child, a baby, in his arms. And behind him was war-torn rubble. So he's walking out of the rubble with the baby in his arms. And this picture was so dramatic and so strong, and came out of nowhere, it suddenly came into my head. And I was shocked. I was quite scared, um, and I remember it very clearly, and I didn't know what to do with it. I was a new Christian, a brand new Christian. And I went to one of the leaders, and I told him what had happened. And he said, don't worry. Just go and pray with that person and give them a picture give them this picture. So I went and back, and the guy was praying. He had his eyes closed. I went back. I put a hand on his shoulder. I kept my eyes closed. 
and I, I mumbled something. I was so nervous, and I just couldn't bring myself to give him the picture. The next day, after lunch, everyone was going back up to London. I was alone in my car and just about to set off when I heard a knock, a tap on the window. Guess what? It was him, the guy I had the picture for. Any, any chance of a lift? So as he sat down beside me and we started driving up to London, I felt God prompting me once again to give him the picture. In fact, it was more than a prompt. It was practically an audible voice saying, give him the picture. The picture is for him, not for you to keep for yourself. Give it to him. Anyway, I finally mustered up the courage and I said, "Um, I know it's a bit odd, but I feel I need to tell you something uh, about a something that came into my head the other day when I was praying for you and I'd barely got past the first part of the story that he started to cry unconsolably he was just crying and crying crying. I drove the car into a lay-by, we stopped and eventually um, he was able to tell me that the child in the father's arms was him and the war-torn area was Lebanon where he came from and that was the beginning of a healing process I was able to pray for him and um, he'd he's had a difficult time with his father and the relationship with his father was restored and so on and so forth so his life was completely transformed So not only is Peter open to the Holy Spirit, he's also listening out for what the Spirit is telling and showing him. The third thing I love about Peter is that he's prepared to act and speak on the prompting of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he doesn't allow himself to be overwhelmed by the situation, but just gets on with it. And that means taking risks each time God is prompting him. Now, there are two things in play here. The first is the certainty of his knowledge of the truth. So he's very certain. Peter knows the God he believes in raised the Jesus he knew from death to life. And that makes him an extraordinary God who has power over life and death. And Peter himself is a witness of that. And the second is his willingness to take risks for that same truth. And so when God prompts him to command the man to his feet, is he, Peter, prepared to allow God to use him to display that power even though it means he may be made a fool of or fail again as he'd failed Jesus before. Yes, he is. And so goes, goes for it and speaks out words of truth and resurrection life. 
In the name of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, he says, get up and walk. Now, as someone who calls himself a Christian, I would say, I know the truth about Jesus and I have a relationship with Jesus. All of us here would likely say the same thing. But my struggle is in speaking or acting on God's prompting in different situations that occur in my everyday life. I often lack boldness and a willingness to take risks. I suppose most of the time, when an opportunity comes by and I feel God is prompting me to intervene in some way, I bottle it. And usually it's because I simply don't trust God enough. I don't trust him enough. The reality is I want to change and I pray all the time that God would use me, make me less timid and more courageous so I can see transformation. So that's what I'm praying for. I pray about that a lot. A friend of mine from Germany, uh, Johnny, who lives on a very uh, deprived estate on the outskirts of Dusseldorf and works at building community in what is undoubtedly uh, an extremely challenging environment. And one day he was hanging with some of the youth from the estate and chatting um, chatting with one of them. And it turned out this guy had constant back pain. And some days, like on that day, it was really bad. And so Johnny felt prompted to pray for him. So he asked him to take off his shoes and to sit down with his legs straight out in front of him. He then noticed that one leg was about an inch shorter than the other, which would have been very likely the cause of the chronic back pain. So he called out to all the others to gather round and told them what he was going to do and what Jesus was going to do, that Jesus was going to bring healing. And then he started to pray. And guess what? The longer leg, the shorter leg grew longer. (laughs) I think it's that. The outcome of the story is both legs were the same length and the back pain, the chronic back pain, left and the guy was completely healed. Now, I would love to have the courage to take risks like that. And, of course, if we do take those sort of risks, we can then create an opportunity to say something about the reason for what has happened. In other words, it is our cue to introduce the person of Jesus. And as a result of the demonstration of this healing, um, you know, Johnny has done some incredible stuff on that estate, and a lot of the youth have come to faith and their lives transformed, all because of that one extraordinary healing. And of course, that's exactly 
what Peter does as he speaks not only to the crowd who know the man who was lame and that they now see jumping and skipping around the temple courts, but also to the rulers and high priests. And later in Acts, it is reported, this is a spectacular sign that has happened through them, Peter and John. All Jerusalem knows it, and they can't deny it. So, of course, you can't deny something as extraordinary as that. Peter is then able to speak very plainly about Jesus in reply to a question. How did you do this, and what power did you use? He says, let it be known to all of you that this man who stands before you fit and well because of the name of the Messiah, Jesus, is, sorry, let it be known to you, all of you, that this man stands before you fit and well because of the name of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. When I consider Peter's life in that moment in history, when he and John interacted with that disabled man sitting by the beautiful gate, I remind myself that this event isn't just an extraordinary story from the past and one of the reasons the name of Jesus spread so quickly. But for me, there is a lesson right here, right now. As I said at the start, I see Peter as one of us, a man who loved Jesus and always wanted to walk in step with him through the Holy Spirit. I see him as someone who models for us a way in which we can do likewise. And there are three things Peter demonstrates. The first is that we are to keep welcoming the Holy Spirit into our hearts. When I first became a Christian, someone prayed for me to receive the Holy Spirit. And from then on, my life changed completely. I, I could no, it could no longer be the same as before. There was something that changed and, you know, I stopped being the center of the universe, essentially, the center of my own universe, excuse me, but I invited Jesus to be the center of that universe. I prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill me, and we keep doing that. I keep asking the Spirit to fill me every day, and the result of that is that the possibilities in life then become endless. My life was very narrow. My path for my life was incredibly narrow, very limited to my own rather pathetic thinking. But then receiving the Spirit, the Holy Spirit opened things up and I saw things in a completely different way. Second, we're encouraged to listen to the Spirit. Myself, I love to plan everything well in advance and to make sure every day is not wasted and that I know exactly how and when and where I'm going to be doing all the things that I have mapped out. You know, that's fine. But God is also teaching me 
to be open to his spirit. And that means rather than always coming to him with my agenda, I'm learning to ask him what his agenda is for a particular season, a moment in time, uh, as something that happens, a particular event. Thirdly, Peter encourages us to stand up, speak up, and act out what we believe the Holy Spirit is telling us. Not easy for myself, I'm speaking. But of course, this is how the kingdom of God will come, and we will see the fruit of that. When Peter takes the man by the right hand and helps him up onto his feet. He is inviting and welcoming him into a brand new life where no longer will he be helpless at ground level, stranded, both physically and spiritually. But instead, he will be standing on his own two feet, able to interact with others, worship and pray at the temple, work to survive and lead a normal life in his community. He hoped for some money, and in return, he received resurrection life and freedom. And all this because Peter was prepared to step out. Let's keep going, and like Peter, allow the Holy Spirit to prompt us and give us all the boldness we need over this coming season.